Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to this week's edition of Conversations. Z, I'm sitting here with you. Uh, I am in Rio de Janeiro right now. Got in this morning here to continue the dream, keep on making the music, keep the fans happy. So it's been cool. And as I've been walking around, just getting acquainted uh, with the area and the people, I realized just some differences in culture. You know, on the one hand, you've got people who in a lot of ways are the same. Uh, They're out, they're walking, they're talking, they're exercising on the beach, they're shopping, they're congregating for coffee or for drinks or whatever it is. But on the other hand, because I don't speak the language and I don't have necessarily the same mannerisms, I can kind of fit in because of the way that I look. So I don't stand out as much as some of the other tourists, but I can't speak to people. And because of that, that becomes a barrier. So even though we have so much in common, because of that cultural difference and that language difference, it takes some work to overcome that and find some common ground and create a good working relationship. Uh, because otherwise it feels stiff and it feels awkward and it feels formal and people aren't going to open up because I think ultimately you don't feel safe. You don't feel like you can trust the people you're with if you don't have that commonality. So we got uh, started on that topic. And as we continue talking, it's an extension of our conversation from last week. Because last week we were talking about culture and we were talking about this book that you read, The Triple Package, how certain cultures are successful and what those traits are that lead to success And it's things like having a superiority complex, uh, being willing to delay gratification. So instead of going for immediate rewards, maybe you save, you invest, you plan for the future. Uh, And then the the final aspect of it is being insecure. So you're always searching for approval. You're searching for whatever that next award is or that next milestone is. And that keeps you moving forward. And so that's all well and good. And if you're purpose in this life is material success and comfort, maybe that's the right approach. But as you pointed out, Z, that doesn't always work in terms of a broader life strategy, because there is a downside to that culture. And the downside to that culture is it can lead to relationships that are sterile, where you don't have that spark, you don't have that fire, you subjugate the interpersonal relationship for professional success. Uh, Delayed gratification means it's always about accumulating more, meeting that next milestone, not so much about being in the present. So that's a potential downside. I look at myself and I come from somewhat of that culture. And part of the issues I had as you go through life, you end up feeling very insecure, which can be a benefit in terms of monetary success. But then it makes you afraid to take risks and try out different things and express different aspects of yourself. And for me, that was huge because... I've got this whole creative side, which I haven't tapped into in the first three and a half decades of my life. And so it took till my mid thirties for me to even recognize that that was there and that was lurking in the background. And that's something that was burning in me that I wanted to express because I wouldn't say it was conditioned out of me, but it was something that I was trained to overlook. You know, I was focused in one direction and I was looking to the right instead of looking to the left and maybe up and down and all around me. So these aspects of culture, It's important to understand the pros and the cons. It's also important to make sure that the culture that we participate in and the culture that we create for ourselves and our family is serving our life objectives. 
Uh, so again, if we care about material success, fine. But if we have a broader definition of success, we might need to adopt different styles, different strategies. We may need to change some of the prescriptions. And that doesn't mean throw out everything that we have. Uh, there might be nice aspects of our cultural foundation that we keep, but we're the architects, uh, which is what we talked about last time. We're free to modify, we're free to rebuild. And that becomes very important as we move through life. And we talked about this with regard to Uzi because we are working on this Dharma Media project. Part of the challenge with this project, so much of it is about you and your life story. And people want to hear that. They want to know what you went through. They want to know how you came uh, to the wellness industry, how you survived in the wellness industry for, for 50 years, how you had all of these experiences from the music industry to the military uh, to being in the engineering world, how it all came together in Dharma Institute, how you as a 65-year-old man can do Superman push-ups. All these questions are burning in people's minds, and to get them interested in Dharma, a lot of it is getting them interested in you or telling that story. But as we talked about, culturally, that's something you're not comfortable with because you've got that soldier mentality. And the soldier mentality is, I don't need to talk about myself. I don't need to prop myself up. It's much more about the work and the mission and the discipline. And nothing wrong with that. In fact, we are in a world which is starved for substance. So, of course, we want that discipline. But at the same time, in order to get this thing off the ground and get people excited, we might need to shift our approach. And we might need to bring in aspects of other people's culture or refine that cultural imprint uh, that you've had that's guided you through your life, but maybe now is the time that you pivot. So why don't we start over there, Z? I mean, maybe you can talk a little bit about your personal experience as you reflect on the way that you were brought up and also some of the pivots that you're trying to make at this stage. Yeah, Vin, um, it, it's been a hell of a journey and, and why I'm so grateful that I'm studying culture and, and the realization that's coming out of that study is that we are blank slates. As babies, human beings, we're just blank slates. There's, there's very few innate aspects of us that really count as you evolve in life. If you're a reasonably healthy person when you're born, you are then imprinted with, uh, with, with cultural modeling on a very cellular level. Um, there's an old research that showed that all babies in utero can keep time with music, especially drums. All babies on earth born, when you test them in utero, they respond to music typically the same way. But it's only after about five or six years old that they end up either being able to dance and be present in their body or not in their body at all, based on the cultural imprinting and the construct of those cultural bits of information. And the more you get an understanding of that, the more you can think about the good and the bad of your life. So when we identify people, we're not identifying them as individuals. We are pathologizing them based on their culture. And when you as I am doing, as I'm getting a better understanding, I'm learning how to navigate that's in front of me. As I always say, identify, process, and integrate. I'm identifying many things on this process of creating Dharma media and the, the wall that I hit. And it's not just the it's not just the regular art of this artificial wall. It's really 
something in me that is often repulsed by certain things, like the idea of grandizing oneself. So I started reflecting on, on, on that cultural imprinting, and I started thinking about growing up in a time of revolution. I remember early as a child, people being brought to the house with injuries and wounds, and instead of turning on the lights, you turned all the lights down. You covered the windows with, uh, with curtains and made sure no light could come in, and you would bring in somebody hurt or injured, and then you would call different people with different skills to patch up the person. Then you'd sit up all night, all day, all night the next night, seeing if they had survived their injury. And then if they survived their injury, someone would come along quietly, discreetly, provide them with papers, means, and then they would hold on to that. Then someone else would come with a series of instructions to drive this person somewhere, get a person somewhere. And you learn not to brag about things. You learn not to talk a whole lot about stuff. But you also learn to do a lot of kind of uh, misdirect where you did talk about something and other people heard about it, it would send them in a different direction. And that you were deeply ingrained with the idea, this is for the survival of our group, this is for the survival of higher ideas of freedom, revolution, and so forth. But all the pieces that made that so made me reflect. So you look at all the old pictures of me in the music business. I'm always in the shadows. And I look and see that many times that the people that became famous weren't the people who did the work, but they were people who put themselves out front. And they became, and they were able to monetize on their fame. Um, I never thought about monetizing on my fame, on, on my closeness to stardom. And it doesn't resonate well with me. Um, but there are people that do that, and then they become the people that are pictured as iconic in a moment when maybe it wasn't those people, but it was people who you didn't necessarily see. Then I started seeing different things in the culture where all the managers of, let's say, the entertainment business were these Jewish guys who were behind the scenes, doing the paperwork, doing the contracts, and you've met some of them, and nobody really knows their name uh, as it relates to fame, but they, they have their name on every contract. And they had came from a similar culture as mine. I start to realize the similarity of culture. And I want to be able to share with others, how do I take the parts that are beneficial and throw the others away? When you interact with other cultures, there are pluses and minuses. And what I've learned is, at certain times, surrender yourself to other cultural ideas. I was talking to Adi one day, um, one of the guys we're working with, and I, I wasn't able to deliver some financials that we've been working on. Right then, we've been working on financials. So Peace and you are kind of the guys who are going to do the financials. You got busy. Peace got busy. And I was trying to explain it to Adi, and he said, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear your story. I need the financials. And at another time, I would have pulled rank on Adi and like physically just beat his ass and said to hell with you because your protocol, that martial protocol was violated. But I didn't. I said, I understand he comes from a different cultural background, understanding that there are obstacles 
but those obstacles were never allowed to be justifications or excuses for getting to the next place. The passionlessness of it. I go to these weddings sometime. I go to these cultural weddings of my wife's relatives. And one of the uncles and I would always meet at the weddings. And he was outside of that, their culture, but he was within one of the other cultural orbits. And he said, I just come here for the liquor and the laugh. He said, these relationships have no passion. There's nothing that's vaguely resembles sensuality and love between the couples. It's all arrangements for long-term financial planning and business deals. I said, wow, that's messed up. He says, no, if you want to make money and you want to keep money for generations, this, you have to get rid of, what did they say? Um, immediate gratif gratification. You have to delay gratification. But delaying gratification also means personal and sensual gratification. You actually give up a good sex life. So you can have a sexless, love, um, sensuousless relationship, but a deep cultural loving relationship. You love your culture, but you yourself will not experience familiar love. You'll experience loyalty, devotion, as long as you follow the rules, but you will never have, your, your toes will never curl for the person you're with. You'll never walk in the house and look at that person and say, I can't wait to jump your bones. I can't wait to be with you alone whenever, you, you, none of those experiences will you ever have. So these people, then, they, then the downside, of course, you suffer the diseases of asensuality. There's actually diseases that humans get that are associated with asensuality. You age faster. You suffer from uh, uh, vascular diseases. A big part of sensual arousal is the uh, higher levels of nitric oxide in your bloodstream, which dilates the blood veins and promotes heavy, healthy blood flow. All that's gone. But in exchange, you have an in-house financial planner. How about that? Yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> I mean, I'll say it's not surprising at all because that's what I've seen my entire life. That's what the relationships are about. And money is one way of putting it. I think it's broader than money. I mean, I think it's this concept of stability. So yeah. it, it's uh, money is part of the security. Part of it is finding a compatible family. Part of it is you got someone who's got your back and you're willing to go through the ups and downs. And it's very different, perhaps, than the Western idea, which is, which maybe leans too far in the other direction, which is this is all fireworks and this is passion. But once that's done, I fucking hate the person. Or even if I don't hate them, it's too volatile and peace, I'm out, I'm done. I'm going to go and find something that's easier. So there's not necessarily the commitment to get you through the difficult times. And you end up not building something, whether it's a family unit or a financial plan, see, as you're putting it. But yeah, I, I guess to me, it's not surprising at all. And uh, if you look at the histories you're talking about, uh, you've got families that come together for economic security. Somehow that's perpetuated. Uh, there's also this infrastructure around it. So if I look at what used to go on in India, which uh, does less so now, I mean, maybe a different variant, but this concept of arranged marriages, where you got a few boxes to tick off. And you've got people who meet, 
Now, they don't have to get married. It's not like it was way back in the day where you had families that arranged this and the children had no say. Uh, but if I look at my parents' generation, you met someone and you met them with the expectation that if they satisfied a base level of criteria, so they weren't physically repulsive, you didn't just scream every time they opened their mouth, uh, they didn't say anything that was horribly offensive, uh, they had the right education, they had the right family, then you would get married. And that was it. And so it was a very quick screening process for the people involved. There was actually a lot more involved in the screening around the families. So a lot of the screening happened before the people even met. You've got either the matchmakers or the family connections, and they're saying, okay, does this family represent a set of values that we represent? Would they be a good addition for a variety of reasons? So they have the right standing in the community. And once all that work is done, the two people get together and they're put in a room and they make a little conversation in front of the aunties and the uncles, and that's it. And then you're good to go. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. I mean, I know for a lot of people, uh, it works out well, and you've got relationships uh, which may not check off all the boxes. You mentioned, Z, uh, maybe the ardor and the passion isn't there. I mean, I can't speak to it. I haven't been in those relationships but maybe some of that is missing. Uh, but on the other hand, you've got the stability, you've got the commitment, and you know that someone's got your back. And you think about this world of anxiety that we're in, where you always feel like something is about to give, that uh, you're standing on the edge of some abyss and you're going to fall in, or someone's going to sweep away your reality. Having that foundation actually does a lot for your health. So maybe there are diseases that you get because of a lack of sensuality, but there are probably also diseases that you cure because you've got more of that psychological foundation and that feeling of strength and stability. Uh, so I don't think one is right. I mean, this is an interesting question for you because as we're getting into it, it's not that one dominates the other. Uh, you can see, and maybe this was your point at the beginning, you can see value in both approaches, but how do you start bringing that together? I mean, you've got very dominant modes of behavior. You've got limited experience with other models. And you've got all the social pressure that we talked about and people looking at what you're doing and saying, no, I don't think this makes sense, or you're humiliating the family, you're stepping out of your lane, and you're going to bring great shame on your parents and your community. Uh, so, and, and that's just one example. I mean, we could apply this to you and the dilemma that you face, which is you represent knowledge and teachings uh, of the Dharma Health Institute, and we want to represent that authentically, and we want that to be the centerpiece, but we also want to bring people in. So you got to balance the showmanship with the substance. Uh, so as we start bringing these different elements together, we need to get to a point of harmony where they all work and it's nice and fluid. Uh, and what are your thoughts on that, uh, on, on almost bringing very different worlds together and turning them into something that's different from either, either place that you started? Yeah, Vin, and, and I hope that that's coming across to everybody is that there is no culture that you say is bad or good that we know of, because if it was a bad culture, it would be dead. It wouldn't exist on earth anymore, or it's dying off. And there are groups and cultures that are dying off on earth. And in my lifetime, there have been many cultures that died off because they were not able to hybridize themselves. The... Um, Aboriginal Americans who were here that people often call the first world people, Native Americans, they did not adapt to hybridization uh, when they encountered the Europeans, so they've died off. They were using 
amazing principles in theory on paper. Um, a love of the planet, worshiping the land and feeling that it was, it was there for everyone. Um, uh, mutual um, appreciation for both animals and humans and uh, the idea of no borders. If you put that on paper, that sounds like an amazing idea until you meet another culture that doesn't believe that and they have guns, weaponry, and they have no code of ethics, right? They don't really have a code of ethics that applies to people outside their group. So no treaties were held up. Uh, genocide was okay. And for many people, even now, Western culture grabs them a certain way because their cultures have so much humanity in it. Maybe that's the term, which like, they believe in the earth. They believe in preserving the earth. They believe in eternity. They believe in quantum ideas about um, the hereafter. So they tend to live their life tethered to an idea that they need to do good in this life. Western culture doesn't believe in that. They say it um, as a package, but they don't believe in that. So they believe in an acquisition of things and property and material things here and now. And if you can't adapt to that, you're not going to do well because of the sheer numbers and the radiating effect of those cultures. When people complain about insular cultures, Jews, Chinese, or these people are so racist, they're this and that, they really are not. They're indifferent to other cultures. And they, they are safe enough, secure enough, and in, in great enough numbers and they have the rewards of their behavior that there's no reason to change or adapt. Now, if you're down and out and uh, you're shit out of luck, you have to really look at how do you adapt? Is your culture flourishing? An example of that, again, I talk oftentimes in the troubling condition of black Americans versus maybe some other group. So black Americans are the most Americans of Americans. They believe in God more than anybody they believe in the ideas of American more than and they suffer the most for that behavior. So the, the, the population is declining at a rapid rate. Um, in a generation or two, they lost 10 percentage points on population growth. Um, black Americans, um, so-called African-Americans. So they're down, they're now the minority minority in America when they used to be the majority minority. And it's all culture. You take those same genetic phenotypes of people and move them to, let's say, Nigeria, they're flourishing. They're, they're high population in the best schools. They financially do well, um, all those sorts of things. You look at two groups of Chinese, agrarian Chinese, intellectual Chinese. Uh, when they were at home in China, there were huge class differences. Those class differences disappear when they come to America and using the same principles. Um, they flourish. They flourish. You look at uh, Lebanese, you look at um, Syrian populations. Why do they do so well? And of course, uh, the South Asians of all kind tend to do better than native-born Americans. Um, yet, you want to also look at the other side. There are rising suicide rates. There are rising health concerns amongst all those groups that are flourishing. Simultaneously, they're having health challenges, emotional challenges, things like that, psychological challenges. So the big thing for all of us is to learn to hybridize. Take the best things from every culture and make your own culture. It's like 
mixing your yogurt with something else. You know what I'm saying? You don't want plain yogurt. You want to add something to it that makes it a tasty meal. Yogurt is culture. Pure yogurt is hard on the palate. You have to acquire a taste for that sour, bitter thing, right? But if you add a few new things to it, you can get the benefits of the probiotics of yogurt, the, the benefits, the digestive benefits, along with the pleasantness of whatever you're taking, and then you tend to use more of it. So I was saying our big thing as opt-outs especially is don't lock yourself into one cultural bubble. Go out and explore and see how can you hybridize different culture. How can you have material security and have a passionate life? How can you have material security and, and live up to your innate gifts? You're a perfect example of that. You dotted your I's and crossed your T's culturally, but you're now in Brazil developing your music. I mean, this has taken you a long way. You're now a, a relevant artist in a very short window of time. But what's different than you, you're not a starving artist. That's the only difference. You delay gratification somewhere at the threshold of choking and being not able to breathe. You made different choices. You married the woman you had passion for. You and your wife have a very hot relationship. She's cool as I don't know. She's the blackest white woman I ever met. She's hot and good energy for you. She's crazy. She drives you crazy. She makes you go off the wall and you love her to death. You can't get better than that. And now, not only that, but she married a rapper who happens to do other stuff when he's not rapping. This, so you have hybridized many cultures to find your own truth. And I admire that so much. And I was forced out of my cultural model based on my cultural model that my word is everything, like your word is better than a written contract. You die, on, you fall on your sword. So when I made a promise to my teacher to do the health and wellness thing, I never quit that promise no matter what hardships I've encountered. I've made and lost fortunes in that. I find myself in my mid-60s trying to figure out how to retire because I made a promise. But I, can, I have no mechanism in me to violate that promise. That's culture. Right? It builds these artifices in you that seem like objective realities. Right? You might be repulsed by behavior of things that may benefit you. There are cultures that don't believe women should exercise. So you see women trying to do extraordinary things to understand fitness, even as doctors. I meet doctors from different cultures that are most unhealthy people you'd ever meet because in their culture, women don't exercise. So even with the knowledge of medicine, they won't take care of their health because women aren't supposed to do that. It's an interesting thing, but also they're working outside the home, which violates another tenet of the culture. So it's real helter skelter. So if we can look at our culture and again, do that deconstruct, do that reverse engineering, we can understand our behavior more. And the first step to any alchemic process, of course, is identifying and saying, why do I do what I do? Just like if you have an accent, there's a wonderful lady came to Tai Chi class from Texas and she had that Southern accent. And it isn't just the words she speaks, but the accent also is how you see the world. 
Thus, another reason why to be month should actually be multilingual, bilingual, minimally. No other languages, at least know how to navigate other languages, because it's not just the accent that it brings, it's what's behind the accent. Um, I have cousins that their first language is, is French, and they're more French than they are African. They're more French than they think they know everything. They're very cocky and arrogant. Uh, they think they believe they're savoir-faire, they're the most fashionable person. It's just ridiculous. But that's their accent. But under that accent gives you an insight into your behavior and the way you frame the world. You're in Brazil, and I loved, I did Capoeira in Brazil. I'm in the first two books on Capoeira. Um, you'll see my pictures in those books. And I, I went to Brazil, and it's a really cool thing, but I, I, I'm always looking because of my soldier. And I said, wow, Brazil, Brazil has an interesting caste system, and it's an interesting racial hierarchy system, even though nobody knows Brazil for being extraordinarily racist. A Brazilian told me one time, a white Brazilian told me, there's no racism in Brazil because black people know their place. And it was really interesting. And so Brazil has the highest African population on earth outside of Africa. But you rarely hear about racial strife there because just what this guy said, the culture ingrains in people what your station is, just like the caste system in India. So it's a really fascinating way that culture shapes not only how we behave, but how we see, how we taste, how we interact with the world. And the more that we practice and forms different forms of cultural hybridization or cultural mimesis, the more we can engineer a auspicious culture within ourselves is what I'm working on. I'm learning from all of, all of the people around me, all different, I, I surround myself with different cultures since as long as I can remember, I've always enjoyed different cultures from as a child doing martial arts and yoga um, to traveling the world and understanding the arts and sciences. Um, it gives you another way of looking at your world that is not set and rigid, but that you can, you can be very fluid in terms of adaptation. But also when you run into problems and dilemmas, why do people, why does my friend behave this way? Or why does my spouse behave this way? Why are you tattooing your face? What the hell's going on, right? You get to, you have an understanding. You may not necessarily be like it or, or, or find it agreeable to you, but it takes the edge off, the sharp edge of cultures off when you have an understanding of how people behave. Who can you, there are certain cultures that acquisition is important, so you can't really trust them with your money. Other cultures you can. There are people that have different types of culture. There are people that don't identify food as having a direct correlation to health and wellness. So if they're from that kind of culture, it's going to be very challenging to explain to them the correlation between food and health. So that's what we try to do here, right? So you have a lot of things. You have dynamic relationships in both macro and micro. If you come from a single mother-headed household or a single parent-headed household, you tend to be comfortable with that and it's going to be harder for you to partner, right? And so if you're having trouble partnering, you start to understand, oh, I came from a single parent home and I'm not used to sharing with other people the roles, responsibilities, the, uh, the, the bane and the benefits of, of coupling. So you may not be good at coupling. You may have come from poverty. So you're very uncomfortable with 
the idea of delayed gratification, where you may come from wealth, so you may not have an appreciation for hard work and, and the ethics and benefit of devoted and dutiful actions. But if you understand the culture you're from, you're going to be able to hybridize that into a better personal culture and pass that on to friends, family, children, whatever. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, I follow you, Z, and it's interesting. There are a couple of thoughts that come to mind when you're talking about adapting and integrating parts of different cultures. One is this idea has been around for a long time. So evolutionarily, that's how we evolve. You've got genes and they mix up and you take different parts and you can almost look at the processes, different survival strategies coming together and the ones that are most successful propagate and the other ones die off. You've got someone like Swami Vivekananda who was very pro-India and pro-Indian independence, but he made the same point that you did about the Native Americans when he looked at India. And he said, India's got this great spiritual tradition, but we've lacked a lot of the material success or, or at least that material drive. India did used to be a wealthy country, but it didn't have the same culture of more and acquisition that he saw in the West. And he thought there was some utility in India moving more towards that model, the same way there would be some use for the West to move more towards the spirituality. Uh, so you'd get a nice balance. And then I look at myself and it's interesting because for a long time, I've struggled with these different cultures as we're calling it. You know, I almost think of it as different worlds. So there's the world of being a model minority and being brought up a certain way. Uh, there's the world of corporate America and having to do a certain job and project a certain image. Then there's the art world, which is completely different. And for a while, this was a struggle in me. And I sort of felt like, why am I still in these other worlds? You know, I want to be free. I want to go. I want to express myself. It, why am I holding myself back? And it created conflict for a long time. And I got to a point where I realized that, for me at least, it wasn't an option to just completely exit the existing aspects of my culture. Maybe for other people it would be, but given my circumstances, my family obligations, even my temperament, I just wasn't going to do it. So what the hell, why was I wasting time trying to figure out how am I going to burn this thing down and move on to something else? And it hit me that what I really needed to do was compliment. So I've already got one set of cultures and one set of behaviors that work in certain contexts. I just need to create another reality, create something to supplement that that's an outlet for the more creative side. And when I showed this with Easy, I remember your point was that, yeah, do that. And as you do that, and that world grows, it draws more and more of you in. So if you want to get there, it'll naturally happen. And uh, you'll always have uh, some harmony or some exchange across these worlds. Uh, you'll never be completely in one or completely out of the other, but that makes my change over time. Uh, and as long as you have that flexibility, you know, what's worked for me is to be open, to be flexible, actually not to plan that much in advance, but just listen to my heart, figure out what I'm passionate about, what I care about, what's important to me, and maybe that's really where we start when we're looking at these different cultural strategies. As we've talked about, nothing is right or wrong. It's primarily a question of what do we want to achieve and what's the best way of doing that. So we can start with that clarity and we have an openness to try different things. And as you're saying, a willingness to spend time with different cultures, adopt different languages, look at different models, we can end up in a much better place. Yeah, Vin, and, and I also feel it takes a tremendous burden of stress off you when you move through the world and you understand why people are the way they are, why 
you might have a conversation with someone and they immediately flip on you. Um, I remember talking to some Chinese friends and I was extolling the virtues of Mao. And, and, and one of my Chinese friends, she grabbed my leg and just squeezed it and said, don't talk about that, Z. And, and because she came from a generation of Chinese people that had talked about the suffering Mao inflicted on everybody. I was speaking of Mao in terms of his writings and his ideology, but she corrected me and I got it right away. And then you think about uh, people you've been around who are not real into intellectual. You don't have, a, I have some Lebanese friends and they're just not real into intellectual conversations. They're very earthy people. And then they said that they had polled people around the world and they found that Lebanese tend to have the healthiest sex life. And one of the reasons why is they've been, they've been involved in so many wars and so many disruptions of their society that they, they learned to live in the moment. They adapted part of their culture. So when they party, they party hard. When they're with you, they're really with you. And so that opens them up to more intimacy because they have a sense of right now based on how they've adapted to the war as opposed to maybe another culture being more warlike you know, more orthodox, warlike, looking for the end of the world, an apocalyptic end, and they're, they're, they're vested in anger and war, as the Lebanese are very, uh, tend to be happier when it comes to sensual interactions than other people. So you can see where cultures have more adapted, as you said, different worlds. If we were to do a diagram, I would show different planets hovering around each other and when they come into close proximity or orbit or eclipse one another or meld with one another. And that's how we might want to look at cultures. But we want to be able to, do, to critically look at our own culture and how we see the world so that we can make little improvements by picking and choosing what pieces of culture you enjoy. Where it has helped me throughout my adult life is in my travels. Wherever I go, I tend to know the ways of the people that live there. And so I don't have a lot of bad stories about traveling uh, because I try to be the local. That was my advice to you going to Brazil. Immediately learn how to greet people, uh, watch the way things go, fit in, dress like them, accept that to the degree you can. You can still be true to yourself because you're being true to your humanity. You're not violating your culture. You hear these horror stories about especially Westerners going to different cultures and behaving in a Western-like way. You hear about people going to uh, the national parks and slapping live uh, wild animals to, uh, to their own demise. Or you hear people being jailed in different countries. There's a recent story of an American woman that was shouting and screaming at people in Dubai and, and facing two years in prison. And then her mother and, every, and a civil rights attorney is talking about and they ha they're getting no traction because they tell you this isn't the way we behave when you come here. Adapt, cultural adaptation, or stay in your own orbit. Don't break, don't leave your planet. I want to be able to leave my planet so I can flourish and grow. And as a human being, if you don't culturally grow, a good culture becomes rotten. It's like yogurt. Yogurt is basically spoiled milk, but if it goes real bad, it becomes a poison. So that culture that was good for you at one point has now become a poison. It's like when people talk about uh, when, I, when I traveled the world and I would meet people from really insular cultures 
it was very easy to date the women there because you would simply interact with them as an independent individual, not outside their culture. And you say, hey, you're smart. You're beautiful. And they went, my God, am I? I'm, I'm separate from all of this. And that was your way in. Low-hanging fruit by just simply acknowledging them as independent from their culture, but they still had their cultural ways and mores and safety things. Because culture is safe. Your culture, though it may not provide you with joy and happiness, it does provide you with safety. So when it comes to the prime directive of survival, uh, reproducing, thriving, you go to safety. The first thing you go to is this is safe. To go outside of safety is known as an adventure. You are an adventurer. Maybe someone else you know is a safety person, right? But for safety, you give up a lot. To be safe in your car, you lock yourself in, you seatbelt yourself in, and you don't go anywhere. That's the safest place to be in your car. That's your culture. But if you want a hell of a ride, you start the motor and punch the gas and head down the coast. And you ride it like the, till the wheels fall off. So there's different ways of approaching it. You got me, Vin? Yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. I mean, what I'm taking away, you live on a crazy-ass planet, so you want to go to other planets. Makes sense to me. You understand other cultures. It actually reduces your stress level because you don't have to fight the way things are and wonder why people behave the way that they do. And then finally, we broaden our horizons, and then we get better survival strategies, and we can get what we want. So, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Well, I want people to think about how powerful culture is. Can you hear me? I just want to finish by just reminding people of how powerful stewarding your own culture, being the pilot of your cultural plane or ship. I remember years ago there was a documentary about a man who lived amongst wolves. And though he was a human being, he understood wolf culture to the point where they accepted him as their own, even for many generations of wolves. They accepted this guy as another wolf because he understood the culture and they he shared that with them. That's how powerful the understanding of culture can be, that even different species of creatures can interact with each other if you appreciate and understand the culture. So for those everyday people, you and I, if we do nothing but reduce our stress by understanding cultures, we get a benefit from that. All right, so that's it, Vin. Yeah, yeah, no, I think we're done. I think you said it all, even though I didn't hear what you said because my internet connection is bad. I, I trust in your wisdom. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.